Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Magical Stories of Healing and Spiritual Gifts podcast. Uh, this is David Staub here. I'm with my lovely wife, Ms. Megan. Hi, everyone. Uh, we're incredibly excited to talk to you today. Uh, I love stories of just triumph and just people bringing light into this world. And this one hits home for uh, Megan and I personally a little bit as we have a, a couple friends that are uh, struggling with, with some of these issues. And we are interviewing Miss Karen O'Neill today who has such, we just know the high points of her story um, that are just amazing as they are. So we can't wait to let her speak on to her story, what she's overcome, just on the high point. She's overcome 40 years, it looks like, of seasonal depression, 35 years of bulimia uh, through these powerful plant medicines such as Iboga and Ibogaine. And now she's literally using her story and things she's been through and her knowledge and experience to bring so much light into this world uh, in, in regards to working for this drug rehab center that's actually using sacred plant medicines. And addiction in general hits home for me just because of my struggles in the past with it and how much psychedelics were powerful for me. But even our close, we have a, uh, you know, obviously we're not going to mention names, but we have a few friends that are just, it's so tough to see those struggles happen with uh, most, most of eating disorders, eating disorders and the, uh, and how debilitating it truly can be. And, and just, con- I mean, man, she's been to maybe 10, 11 different rehab centers with no, yeah, it's with no, no help. So anyway, uh, can't wait to bring on Karen. Thank you so much for making time for us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's really an honor and a pleasure to be able to spread the word. Yes, 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 yes. I uh, can't wait to get into it and uh, hear about everything and what you're doing now and where they can find you. Before we get into that, we'd love to hear your story. I mean, if you could start us out, um, you know, if, if you don't mind speaking on uh, what you feel comfortable speaking about, your childhood, how you grew up, and, you know, where did all this start? You know, trauma. Right. What was the root cause that created the bulimia and the depression? So, um, yeah, just go for it. That, that's a really good question. And I have to say with almost all, if not all, addiction begins with trauma. Some kind mm-hmm. of child trauma. And it can be tricky because a lot of people have blocked memories, and some people never recover their memories, but they are still challenged to heal. Wow. So in my case, I was the daughter of a college professor, very, very liberal family. My parents, well, even in their heyday, they were 50 years ahead of time, and their wow. well, my father passed away. But my mother is 84, and she's seeing a new world that she helped create where recycling happens every day where people are reusing where it's about minimalism and not conspicuous consumption um, about you know more peace and love and healing using natural modalities I, I grew up enough when I was 10 years old I felt like a freak this is weird family but now I think it's the coolest thing ever so I grew up in this intellectual highbrow environment along with all of the activism there was nothing I could point to there was no alcoholism or drug addiction or physical abuse or I don't know I was raised really well in a lot of ways but my mother is schizophrenic and so that created a lot of inconsistency and her schizophrenia was caused by um, and it took years to unravel I was her memory but she knew something happened to her when she was young and it turned out over this about 20 years with me acting as her memory because we talked about it the next day, I say, Mom, that's so great that you shared and that you remembered all that. And 
she would say, what are you talking about? So oh I'd have gosh. to fill her in. So, yeah, so this went on for about 20 years, and it was childhood trauma from a family member um, that bought, I, because this is her story, I don't think I should share all of it. Sure. But let's just say it was horrible. And therefore, she wasn't able to protect me and my sister from the same thing. So Makes my sense. sister never blocked anything out, but I have a photographic memory I did when I was younger. And there was a, an, an event with my grandfather. Block of time, I remember everything before. Black spot in the middle of the film of my memory. And then I remember how I felt afterward. And after that, I had a horrible bladder infection and urinary tract infection and, you know, high fever and everything. So, you know, you don't need to be... Floyd or, or an attorney to connect the dots on that one. Wow. So with bulimia, it's pretty much, and anorexia too, but particularly bulimia, it's a reenactment of a trauma. Oh and in this gosh. case, it's unwanted oral sex, okay? And it's literally, I will control what goes in and out of my body. And the purging is an act of feeling clean again because you get you know, some body chemicals released when you have that release. Wow. <clears throat> wow. Thank know, you for right? explaining it to it us that way. Wow. It makes sense in a really messed up way. Yeah. Right. And yeah. When you go on further with that, with the sacred medicines we work with, I realized about a year, year and a half ago, through the help of a friend who helped me figure it out, I was kind of recreating, you know, that it's not an addiction to the purging. It's an addiction to food. You know, we have to eat food to live, so right. you have to find a healthy relationship with it. Unlike drugs or alcohol, where you abstain, not saying that's easy, not saying that's easy at all, but it can be done. Right. No, I ha- you have to take it beyond that and have, you know, develop and create a healthy relationship, you know, with nourishment for your body so, wow. so we can sustain ourselves and be healthy and be productive. Now I have to ask: Did you, excuse me, did you ever uh, try and or attempt like the conventional rehab facilities? And just did you try it and it didn't work for you? Um, I did once, and it took me ten years. This must have been about twenty-five years ago. It took me ten years to get to the point where I realized I needed inpatient care. Wow. Before that, for like maybe a year or two before that, I tried therapy and Prozac and you know, 12-step group, process group, whatever was available to me. And I finally realized, like, this just ain't going to cut it. I need to be in this program. I had health insurance, and I was there for a couple of days, and my insurance company denied it because they said it was a pre-existing condition. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. That's terrible. Shame Yeah, on it was. And, you know, even to prove my point that I needed that help, I cut myself for the first time wow. in the hospital. You know, real passive-aggressive thing, but it was quite literally, you know, a plea for help. And they're like, oh, no, you'll, you'll be fine. You're strong. You'll be fine. Unreal. Yeah. Unreal. It's the fact that I'm strong that I got there in the first place. Right. Right. You know, don't give me that. They, there was nothing they could do. I get it. But, um, yeah, it's a really bad system. Wow. Because officially, and I'm the daughter of a lawyer. My father later became an attorney. And I knew, you know, it wasn't technically, legally speaking, a pre-existing condition because it was never written down on paper. I'd never been diagnosed. So, you know, they were just trying to avoid the bill. But, yeah, it was very sad. I didn't have the energy to fight that at that point. So, oh, that's so I went on for another 25 years until I found Ibogaine. Oh, my 
Yes, explain that. So I've heard of iboga, but I don't, I, I, I don't know what ibogaine is. We're very experienced with like okay. ayahuasca because that's what changed our lives. We just started learning about iboga and ibogaine, and it's so intriguing these past few weeks. So well, I've never heard of ibogaine, so I would love to. <laughs> Can we get to that in one second? Because I realized I kind of rabbit trail when I was talking about the binging and purging. What I realized I was doing was I was recreating an ayahuasca ceremony. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, go really, for it. Yeah, and you know that you are you are making you are eliminating what no longer serves you and making space for something new in your life. Now I was caught up in the addictive cycle, but once I learned to look at it that way, that actually helped me minimize the behavior. This was before my second round of ibogaine. Uh, now to your question about iboga. And ibogaine. So they come from a shrub that grows in the rainforest of West Africa. And at maturity, about eight or ten years, they can either dig up the whole tree or sustainably just start cutting off some of the roots, you know, below the ground, and shred that. And the root bark from that is iboga, pure iboga. And that's how it was used traditionally with the Buidi tribe, the Pygmy tribe before that. And they would take it by spoonfuls. It would be in ceremony with music that it's an acquired taste that I now love but it has polyrhythms that help the medicine in your brain work better I mean there there really was a method to how they did this somehow wow Some kind of consciousness told them how to do it wow Whoa. and I, what began is it's an extraction of that so they're removing some of the alkaloids and the purists believe no 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 iboga only iboga and I don't necessarily I mean I respect that but I think there's a lot of uses, and the fact that it helps with addiction, you take that extraction, and it's down to about six pills. You take two pills about 20 minutes apart. I gotta say, you have to do this with someone that's experienced. Yep. You know, this is a pout. You know, you need medical testing, you need blood work. A lot of things can go wrong if you don't take the proper precautions. Wow. There's no, I believe that iboga is different than ayahuasca in the aspect that you don't necessarily have to do a special diet before. Is that correct? Uh, no, no, no special diet. You do need to have an empty stomach, but that's about all. Okay. Wow. So, so the, the difference that, you know, as, as we refer to it in the medicine community, um, iboga is the grandfather of all psychoactive medicines and ayahuasca is the grandmother. So. What makes iboga unique is the resetting potential that it has. And it, it's a dirty molecule. It goes through every area of your brain and scrubs it clean through your taste are reset to a child's taste. So a child isn't going to want to bend and purge. You know, they're not going to think of that. Right. A child isn't going to want to drink a bottle of whiskey every day or smoke on a meth pipe or, you know, jam a needle into a vein, right? But the nine-year-old wow. be thinking that way. So, but you're, you're, you still have your memory. And you still have your triggers, right? That your body is not physically craving the way that it would. And this is not a cure. And people tend to think of it as a magic pill because they're, they're desperate, right? Right. And we tell them time and time again, it is not a magic pill. There's a lot of work before and after that you must do that's as important as if not more. Maybe even more important, you know, and that's the, the work that's done in any rehab, you know, in the West. You know, you have to look at your trauma. You have to look at your addictive mindset. You've got to release some things <clears throat> that are holding you back and make room for new habits and healthy habits. And you have about a 30 to 60 day window because the liver converts ibogaine into noribogaine and it stays in you for a while. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And that, that just gives you a space to 
figure out what you want with your life, come to terms with all the terrible things we've done, because we all have, in the name of addiction, it came first. You know, it absolutely came first, you know, occupied 80% of our thoughts, for sure, when we were awake. And, you know, some of us were functional, some were not. There's a lot of different stories, but, you know, all of a sudden you've got all this free time. Wow. So there, there's where you bring in yoga and breath work and mindfulness. Remember to have fun yep. and then do the deep, the deep personal work too every day. Learn to love yourself. It all starts with self-love. And when I run recovery circles, I'm the recovery coach here, and I ask people to say one thing you love about yourself and one thing you love about everybody in the circle. Oh. Half of them forget. You know, they, they easily go around and say, I love this about you, you, you. I'm like, okay, but what about you? You know, they're not even programmed. And other people sit there for a minute trying to find something. So uh, that's really, that's you can't so, really have recovery if you don't love yourself. And so powerful. it's hard to love yourself when you've been an addict and screwing things up in the name of your addiction and tells you. Now, do you find, so like with ayahuasca, you know, oftentimes it's like peeling the onion layer of trauma and you have to, you know, do it several times or a handful of times. I've heard with Iboga that often more than not, that it could be just a one-time experience. Is that correct? I definitely don't want to lead people wrong on that. That's ideal. And I know lots of people that have just done it once and remained clean. Um, In my case, it took two passes. The first time, even though I was told it wasn't a magic pill, I wanted it to be. <laughs> of understand the amount of work, and I was in a toxic relationship uh-huh. that um, that kind of defeated the purpose of what I was trying to do. Mm, so, yeah. not not that he wanted me to be, be bulimic, but I was trying to prove my worth mm, mm. to someone that didn't value the best things about me, and so you know that kind of set me up to go back to the comfort of an addiction and numb out from it. Can you walk us through, like, what that Iboga experience was like for you? So people, because, like, you know, for me, before I did ayahuasca, of course, I researched the heck out of it on the internet. Obviously, I found horrible things, you know, and I still did it, thank God. But, you know, people like to, like, be prepared. They like to, even though everyone's experience can be different, obviously, um, it's just kind of comforting to have, like, some sort of insight of what people ex- can expect. Okay, well, like, like you said, it is completely different for each person. It's personalized in a way that they can understand. So for me, I'm, I'm a graphic designer. I've been a graphic designer my whole adult life, like 40 years or however long that's been. So I think in words and images and the combination of the two. You know, the world's an infographic when I'm trying to talk to someone, right? <laughs> so... Um, <Yeah. laughs> So what happened first, well, the very first thing, um, I felt it hit my bloodstream, and I felt my, uh, like, I boom, I felt it hit the bloodstream. Wow. Um, Kind of in my chest, or a little lower the chest, and everything slowed down. My breathing slowed down, my heart rate slowed down, and that's what is supposed to happen at a high dose, what we call a blood dose. So that was on track. And then when I was brought to, you know, the next dose, I was like, okay, I, I, I know how to handle this. I'm just thinking of it as shifting down, you know, <laughs> and in a standard car. Uh-huh. You know, this is exactly as I went deeper and deeper. But the very first thing I noticed once all the medicine was in me is like my PTSD was just gone. Wow. That's just gone. That's amazing. And it's not come back. And part of the reason it hasn't come back 
and it was all sexual trauma, not just from childhood, but situations I put myself in because as strong of a person as I am, you know, I got no problem saying, hey, David, get off my lawn. <laughs> when it came to a sexual situation, I was powerless. I was, I was a very young child again. So, um, so I was very careful, have been very careful since then, and I'm single now, to handle things differently that would put me in, because I can tell I'm still prone to PTSD of the sexual kind. And so I'm just very careful about um, my relationship and, and about conversations and things like that. And, and I don't even really have to worry about it that much anymore, but in the back of my mind, I'm always protecting myself from that because I don't want to have to do either game just for that. You know, right. I don't want to ever do it again, quite frankly. You know, it, it's very intense. The older you are, the harder it is on your body. Um, you know, you're down for a few days. Young people can get up and run on the beach. I've seen it. And I just like, wow, God bless them. <laughs> but that wasn't me. It wouldn't be me next time if I have to do it. So the first thing, my PTSD went away. The second thing, I started seeing my spirit animal. Oh, wow. amazing. Stop it right now. Do wow. tell. That's amazing. Yeah. What was your spirit animal? Well, I was told, my provider told me that if you see a serpent, that serpent that's a very good omen. You know, shaman speaking, shaman mystically, if that's a word, speaking, uh, and it leads you on, on a successful journey. And so I, I did that I think first and then I saw a big python and then all the rest of the animals were cats big cats wow. you know tigers and lions and panthers and you know all of these like very strong warrior animals and it's really funny because I'm not a cat person I'm a dog person all the way <laughs> <laughs> and then I've noticed over time because my third eye is still blasted wide open from that experience and from using shamanic stuff repay every day that keeps my third eye wide open so now like house cats are around quite a bit you know they're following me around so I'm learning to like cats I think <laughs> cats and I are just too much alike <laughs> that's so cool and, uh, with that attitude of you know you know I'll let you know if I need anything but I probably won't and if I do I just want you to pet me you know? <laughs> that's hilarious now how long how long does the aboga experience last Oh, that, that's a good question. It's different for everybody. Okay. So anyway, I wanted to um, tell you a little more about my experience. Yes. And, and then I'll answer your question. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Okay, so after the spirited animals, the, the vision started kicking in big time. And so what usually happens is when your eyes are closed, you have the vision. And when they're open, they go away. Your, your um, motor function and depth perception is gone. You need help going to the bathroom. And you have to stay hydrated. You're going to the bathroom every couple of hours. And that's important, you know, for safety reasons. Um, but what happened was I started seeing big, large culverts about 10 feet round that were spewing out vomit. Okay, so this was very figurative. Wow. And then the next image was, you know, you'll see those sinkholes on a, on a documentary or something, National Geographic, where you'll see sinkholes imploding into the earth. And I saw those, and that was vomit. So the medicine was saying, this is what you've done with your life. You know, this is where your attention is in. And this is what it looks like. It's ugly. Sorry. You need to see. You know, you need to see that. And then I got a series of life lessons, because I'm a graphic designer. It was done in aerial black, red, big block letters, simple things that we all know to do, like to work out every day, take care of your body, eat, eat nourishing meals, pay your bills on time, don't procrastinate all the things that we know to do but I wasn't doing 
because my addiction came first. So that was basically the gist of it. I also saw some scenes, family scenes from the past and things like that. Nothing was revealed to me that I didn't already know, so it didn't release that black memory of my grandfather, which is just as well. You know, I don't really think I need to see it. You know, um, I know what happened. Right. So, yeah, that, that was it. And generally, to answer your question, it, the vision stage can last from four to ten hours, with the average being about six, wow. and mine was about six. And then it starts to fade. You still have the visions, but they go from color to black and white, you know, like light gray against the black of your clothes are. And then you move into introspection days where you're laying there. You're feeling great. It's fantastic. Your body is not anywhere near there, uh, but you're still in a, a waking dream state. And your introspection where you're thinking about everything that happened, wondering what it means. And then the next day you're moving into integration where you're trying to figure out, okay, now how am I going to do this? So that's, that's pretty typical. Some people, they can have the visions last a long time, like, 48 hours happened, you know, once or twice, but that's unusual. Um, and the person I'm thinking of, she didn't remember any of it, but it worked for her. She was anorexic and alcoholic, and she's driving now. That was like four years ago. Oh, that's beautiful. And some people don't have visions at all. You know, we tend to tell people visions are overrated. They, they keep you entertained. You know, I mean, I really enjoyed quite what I was fascinated and because I was hoping to see the dead relatives and all that, but I didn't because part of me just thinks that's just, well, well, you know, I was raised agnostic, so that's my limiting belief yeah. uh, deep down that I'm trying to, you know, pull, pull the roots out, but, you know, the seeds are still there. Um, but in the left-hand corner of my vision space, you know, the closed eyes, the whole time I saw this graphic of my brain and all the molecules went through it. It was like an animated gif. You know, I could see the whole thing, what was happening. And so the whole experience for me was like a wow thing. Because you are seeing, you're objectively seeing things without your emotions being involved. So you're watching, for me, I'm watching my brain, my body, and my soul all talk to each other to do this job of resetting me. Wow. Yeah. And I don't know how many other people have that experience and again I think it's unique to me because I'm really interested in the brain I tend to be kind of a pragmatic person like why tell me why and you know and being a graphic designer I'm visual and word based my father was an English professor so I've been reading since I've been talking you know so I've always been um, you know tied to written work and so that was my experience for me it was so cool it was so amazing and it is a job. So you never felt scared, I guess, because your emotions aren't involved. The first time, no. Right when it was time to do it, I was scared. Right. Um, but not for very long. I tend to be kind of bold. Um, if, you know, if everybody's jumping off the cliff and it seems like fun and a good idea, I'm like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and that tends to be more the experience of drug addicts we're not opposed to this experience because they're already doing a lot of risky behavior. Yep. The lemmings in general are more um, calm and maybe even fear-based, you know, because it's all about maintaining the image they want to project when they're living a lie. And so anything extreme, they tend to not um, want to do. 
you know, and there's the old programming too, you know, the Nixon era programming. You know, if you do any of this stuff, your baby's going to have for head, you know, yeah. amazing heroin and, and all that stuff. And that's a really hard thing to extract from your belief system. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Even if you know better, even if you know better. So, you know, trying to get someone to do this really extreme thing is hard. We have another treatment available that is becoming more popular, and we do a lot of it where I work at Serenity Beach Wellness, and it's a low-dose treatment over two weeks, and it can be done as a spiritual reboot. It can be done as a detox for it's usually heroin or meth, uh, sometimes alcohol, and you're taking the root bark in capsule, so it's iboga, not ibogaine, the extract, okay. and you're just, you're just taking, you're getting more medicine over a longer period of time, and you're not having you might have the vision. You're definitely in an elevated state, and the medicine stays in your body longer. So that's a good option for bulimic. Do that either with iboga or ibogaine, a low dose protocol. Okay, you know, you and that probably walk. sounds appealing to so, a lot. You know, you can still walk and go around. Definitely not driving a car. <laughs> you know, this is drug rehab. They don't have a car. They don't have money. You know, it's, you know, it's run. You know, like a drug rehab because you know we can't have that liability or even risk. You know our our program. You know, sure. if, if, you know, is to get out because they will absolutely get into trouble. You know, if they're looking to get into trouble. Right. So, um, so there's a low dose and a really good regimen for a lot of people, and also for people who medically maybe they have a heart or issue, um, they can do low dose safely and and effectively. Well, that's amazing that there's that option out there. It's incredible, and I can't tell you how grateful how profoundly grateful I am to have stumbled onto all of this uh, in the first place and, and to make it my life's work and, and to enjoy it so much and, and to enjoy work, what you do it's yeah. fulfilling you know that's amazing I came down to Mexico about a year and a half ago just to volunteer at a new place that was opening to be the cook and I thought because the second time I did so I didn't really explain, but I did. I became twice, two years later. The first time I stayed clean for six weeks, which was amazing, because it doesn't sound like much, but um, my clean time was measured in days for yeah. 32 years at wow. that point. Yeah. Days, not weeks, not months, definitely not years, yeah. like now. So, um, but, but I knew it was possible, and I reintroduced behavior... Partly because I wasn't ready, partly because I was in a toxic relationship that kept me stuck. Mm-hmm. Well, all, in, anyway, I did. It was all part of my path. I'm not beating myself up about it. When I was ready to do it again two years later, I was I was done. You know, stick and fork and be done. And I knew a lot more because of Facebook groups and people I'd met in the psychedelic community in Portland where I lived at the time. And I was just I was just ready. And so, but that that experience was rougher on me personally and physically and then I was like I don't want to ever do this again <laughs> ever <laughs> ever that's and, what I thought um, about yeah, and yeah. I did was an important part yeah, yeah. it was important yeah that's oh, I get amazing. it. I get it. But yeah, girl, like I'm so proud of you. It's amazing. That is awesome. And then taking it and then just dramatically enhancing the impact of your experience because now you're helping facilitate for so many others. I got kind of a off, like a slightly off topic, but similar question. Speaking of spirituality, like how have, because I know for Megan and I, we both grew up very conditioned 
um, in, in this very controlled environment. And psychedelics in general, although unfortunately demonized still by so many and stigmatized, have really trans- transitioned our spirituality, and we've never felt closer um, to, to the divine. But how has how has this uh, incredible plant medicine and working with all this has it changed or transitioned your spirituality, or uh, if so, how, how has that affected you in your spiritual life? Profoundly, profoundly. So my limiting belief, I was raised agnostic. Yep. And death is the price you pay for life. Whether that life is a day or a hundred years, we got to be here, make the most of it. Yeah. Be good. Yeah. yeah. Make, make the most of it. You know, how, you know, just be lucky that you're one of like a good alien sperm that actually, you know, hit the egg and got yeah. that life. So this is my way of thinking, which is like not like that at all anymore. Yeah. Uh, and, and frankly, I, I'm, I'm still on my path getting to where I need to go, which is accepting what I know to be true, but I don't want it to be true. I still want to just die and be done with it. I really do, you know, but I don't get a vote, you know. Right, right. I don't get a vote. And it's very clear through the use of not iboga and ibogaine, but mainly other things like ayahuasca or 5-MeO-DMT, which oh. we call bupo down here. Oh, I know about that. And another, my, probably my favorite medicine, which is called Changa, and it's smokable ayahuasca, basically. Wow. And you're, you know, you're, and I never heard of such a thing until I came here, and it was offered to me following my first ayah ceremony down here. And I'm just like, wow, I like that. So I asked my boss, the director, like, can I have some? And wow. He was like, yeah, you know, develop a relationship with it. Wow. And, um, yeah, and it kind of puts you um, into... You know, it's short acting, so like anywhere from 15 to 45 minutes, depending on how deep you go. And it just connects you to source and the matrix oh. and all the sacred geometry and all of that. Okay, so, so now I definitely want to do that. <laughs> peyote, those medicines are more about the spirituality. Iboga can be, depending on how you're using it. But I don't hear, I don't think it's just me, I don't hear too many stories about how people... Uh, spirituality starts shifting from that. Right. And, and I don't know if it's because of the medicine itself or because people are in the process of resetting themselves, reclaiming their lives mm-hmm. through the use of this medicine, so they're just not in a space to even care. Right. But a few weeks later, as they start doing these other medicines, you know, when it's safe and appropriate to, they do start shifting their spirituality or enhancing their existing spirituality. You know, whatever it is, and we take the approach. It, I, I don't care if you call it Jesus or Muhammad or, or you know, Source or the Universe or whatever. It is really all the same thing. Yeah. Man, find um, the name to it that you want. You know, whatever. You know, whatever works. Please yeah. find that and develop that and, and use it to to better yourself and better what you have to offer the world. Yeah, 5-MeO-DMT definitely is what got me to where I needed to go. And I still have, obviously, more work to do. I'm going back in April, and I'm terrified of doing 5-MeO-DMT again. Um, but, man, smoking, that is I know, interesting. I don't like it either. It's horrible. Like it it's not fun at all. <laughs> I feel, but it's, and I don't know if this is the case with you, but, like, I am a bit of a control freak. You know, in my job, you know, just makes that more so. Like, I'm like, you know, recovery coach, house mother. I'm one of the bad guys. Right. <laughs> and it's important to have that balance. You know, I'm perfectly comfortable being a bad guy, but 
it's hard for me to let go. And surrender. When I feel my heartbeat go up with the bufo, the 5-MEO, I get scared and I don't just go. Yeah. And you add that, that my lungs are not so good, it's hard for me to hold it in long enough to where I'm just totally disassociated and I, you know, and I'm just gone. So I've never fully gone into the white light. I've become pretty close, but I, I do have to say every one of those ceremonies, and I've done it, I don't know, 15, 20 times in a year and a half. Wow. Oh, wow. powerful and transformative and releasing. Absolutely. We, uh, her experience, when the one, our ayahuasca experience, the second night, the night that did the majority of he- well, the healing of the PTSD for Megan and uh, the majority of the healing took place whenever it was uh, ayahuasca mixed with 5-MeO-DMT. Girl, I've never been so sick in my life for so long. <laughs> you took that all in a dose? So yeah. I, he gave me like a level three of the classic ayahuasca plus one of the 5-MeO-DMT and I was convulsing and I'm, girl, it was insane but it was insanely healing but i woke up a different person yeah. and like i don't bite my yeah. nails and my yeah. ptsd is gone and like it helps so much yeah and that's where ayahuasca is such a beautiful medicine because you go through you know the first hour of the journey can be dark if you've got things to release and then it's just all love and light you know and it's not healing anything in you really if you don't continue to walk the walk of whatever it was the medicine you. Right. But yep. physically, you feel good because all the MAOI stuff is running through your body. It's like, woo! You know, right. Yeah. It feels amazing. It does. It gets tricky, too, doing these medicines with addicts because they're still in bug seeking mode, right? right? And so it's about teaching them to, like, this isn't about tripping balls, although you will. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is about healing and learning yes. and growing and, and having the proper respect for it. So no loud music the day of and, and following the proper diet and proper integration afterward. And, you know, it, you're basically teaching them how to walk. Yeah. And the difference between, because it's all plant medicine. I mean, heroin's a plant medicine. Alcohol's a plant medicine. But those are low vibration and addictive. Nice. You know, and these okay. are not, but you can still have the mental addiction of, I just need something to make me escape because my life sucks and I don't want to look at it. And so that's an education process. And I've also done medicine ceremonies with local people down here who have a completely different approach. They're not bringing that darkness to the table. And you can feel the energy in the air. And I, I, the place I worked at last year, I didn't participate in the ceremonies because I really don't trip much. Yeah. You know, I, I do it if there's a reason to. And believe me, I could trip every day if I wanted to around here. But I don't. Um... But when, you know, when you're in a situation where you are just feeling the high vibes of the medicine, whether it was ayahuasca or peyote or whatever it was, it was just, it was like a vacation for me from the usual work I do and the usual wow. approach that is programmed in to a drug addict. Beautiful. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, we, uh, our, our relationship has changed too. Early on, when we were introduced to psychedelics years ago, we used to experiment pretty often and, um, but it's just transitioned so much over the past couple of years. We've gotten all these messages about they're, they're sacred. They're so sacred. 
and now uh-huh. uh, outside of like he- learning and bringing these messages about the healing of plant medicine to the world it's more about healing Megan and continuing that healing process and every rare now again potentially like if we need a clarity like with, shrooms. with shrooms like yeah. like every once in a blue moon six months you know something like that but other than that it's just it's more of a sacred thing now it's not you know and you, you hit the nail on the head you know you've you're not gonna go take some ayahuasca and go to a rave. It doesn't really uh, oh, God. <laughs> doesn't really oh, work no, like that. But you can do that with mushrooms. You know, mushrooms is I don't call them as lightweight. You know, like oh children, yeah, but you definitely go very deep and, and do some real powerful, powerful healing. I met a, a shaman not too long ago. He had been at like an RN for 15 years, and even a pastor, and all of this stuff of the program life that you know he thought he had to have, and then. Um, got really deep into the shaman work that's in his lineage and I should send you a podcast when we're done here you will really like this guy and you're gonna want to talk to him I guarantee you that awesome yeah he explains you know how he can activate this medicine and he's cured addiction he's done some really you know pulled entities off people not him doing it they have to do it but he's like boom right in the spirit world but um just incredible I can't relay it enough because I haven't listened to it enough but when, every time I talk to him or read what he's wrote, it's like, yeah, dude, that makes sense. That is amazing. That so, so it also can be nice. And like on, we have Saturday night on our schedule. If we have, you know, party night that Saturday, sometimes we'll just take mushrooms and just laugh. You know? Yeah, it's really good. that's awesome. You know, but we also, and, and that's part of what is sacred about it in that usage. You can do that with mushrooms. You can't do that with, you know, the other things we work with. Right. right. So, um, could, so could you just to switch gears? I know our our focus, and I definitely love the focus being on um, plant medicine and ibogaine. Um, as we get near the end, I would love. Could you just touch on whatever you feel called to touch on about your originally? I saw you post something on our group about being able to cure seasonal depression with was it a therapeutic dose of ketamine? Could you could you talk on that a bit about your experience there, how you found it, how it impacted you, and how that worked? And then we'll absolutely get back to the ibogaine. Yeah, no, I'm I'm happy to. How I did it was underground. I I, I researched ketamine clinics, which we have one in Portland. It's like, oh, there's no way I can do that. But by then, I was pretty involved in the plant medicine community in Portland, and a good friend of mine, urban shaman, is a phlebotomist, someone that I had done um, NNDMT with once or twice before. And so I asked him if he would be willing to do this. And then I have another friend back east that I trust. He goes, you know, into the dark, dark web and has, you know, gets the, the cleanest and the purest and tests it. So, you know, I'm making sure that I'm, because ketamine, you know, you know, it's scary. You know, right. it's addictive yeah. and, right. and it's anesthetic and there's all of that and there's nothing plant medicine about it. Right. Which doesn't mean I wouldn't do it. Right. But it just, I needed to be judicious about it. And I took a low dose, 55, I think it's micrograms, first time. And and I'm really sensitive to any kind of medicine, even cough syrup, right? So <laughs> uh, a long way with me, except for Ibogaine. I needed a lot of that. But that was because I was in my own way, what my provider told me. So um, I, I did that once and then decided to go to up at 20 more micrograms the next time, which was, I believe, the next week. And I lived in the Pacific Northwest. I was born there, moved to Idaho and then North Dakota during, you know, you know, grade school, high school, one year of college and came back to Oregon. 
as an adult because it's just it's my homeland and where I want it to be. But the downside is not the rain. People think there's a lot of rain. There's not. Just a constant drizzle. I mean, I never even had an umbrella. We have our Columbia gear, you know, jackets. We put on our hood and call it good, and we laugh at anybody with an umbrella because we don't care Okay. <laughs> but it's the lack of light. It's the lack of light. I mean, that's oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. For about 20 years, I knew all the things to do, get outside every day, work out every day, avoid parts of food, kind of hard to do when you're bulimic, but like I was, you know, doing the best I could with all of this, and, um, you know, being in the elements, going for bike rides, walks, whatever, uh, full spectrum lights throughout the house, that helped a lot, but every now and then, you know, a year would come, and it would hit me so hard, it's like, I just don't want to fight, and as I transitions from having like a regular job as a graphic designer to being a freelance graphic designer where I could work anywhere I was as long as there was Wi-Fi access and I had my laptop. I started arranging my life so I was leaving a lot in the wintertime, you know, coming to California, going to the Middle East. Um, my ex was Israeli, so, you know, I spent a lot of time out there. Had funny thing, I'm not Jewish, but my second language is Hebrew. Okay. Yeah, I'm learning <laughs> nice. Spanish now. Nice. <laughs> it's not easy if I, you know. But, but, you know, I'm doing the best I can. Anyway, uh, with the first dose, I felt a lot of improvement. I loved it. And the second dose, it just knocked it out, and it didn't come back. Oh. Uh, the following year, I moved to Mexico, so I was never in Oregon again for a full winter since then, although I visited a lot in the wintertime. But the rain just doesn't bother me, and the rain here doesn't bother me. In fact, I welcome it and love it. Wow. You know, and the dark days, I welcome and love We have so many sunny days, so... So I don't know if it cured me or if it was the fact that my circumstances changed, my geography and location changed. Yeah. And and my life changed so much for the better doing all of this work and being part of this community. So I, I think it's a combination. But the really interesting thing is the ketamine was what started changing my spirituality. What? You know, I mean, I was traveling, man. Whoa. I was like way out there traversing universes and multi-universes. What? And, I've never and, heard you know, that. Buddhist temples with Chinese people, and you know, it was it was insane. Whoa! It was insane. And it lasted it lasted about six hours or more, which I think is longer than normal. But again, that's me because I'm sensitive. Um, and yeah, so this chemical, this anesthetic, was really more than anything else. What? started me into changing my belief system and like wow look at all this out there you know and then I've had this process in ayahuasca ceremonies where especially if it's deep it's like I don't want this I hate this yeah I can see very clearly that this is what it is but I don't want any part of it so you know it, it's about me getting out of my own way yeah. which is a process not an event you know process for sure that's so cool it's so interesting how different chemicals affect people differently i've never heard that about ketamine that is so cool yeah, maybe it was just me i mean i was already on on some kind of a medicine path even back then which been, i don't know about three years ago i guess yeah four years three years wow um i a question for you what advice would you give someone that was feeling hopeless stuck in bulimia felt like they tried everything uh, stuck in bulimia, depression, and uh, addictions of 
multiple kinds. So here's the thing. I have a friend that has been, I'm not naming names obviously, um, but I'm talking like like you. Her whole, whole life, like she's suffered bulimia, um, alcohol, substance abuse. She's blocked memory, so she doesn't remember the trauma that's happened to her. She just knows that maybe it happened because a, a psychic medium told oh, her that. Oh, sure it happened. Right. Sure. Oh, I know it did. I know it did. But I'm going to make her, I'm going to force her <laughs> to listen to this. What would you say to her? First of all, I'm sorry, this is making me emotional. I know, oh. I already got teary-eyed too. <laughs> yeah. Because I love her. This is, this is I, definitely I, a personal I, one for us. Yeah, I get it. I, I walked in the, that path for so long, and and you're in the closet, and you're isolated, and you're living a lie for most of the world. Mm. Um, the most important thing is to get out of the closet and expose and talk about it to the people that you trust. Yeah. Um, because what I always did throughout all those years when I exposed myself to, for the first 10 years, it was secret. Then I started talking about it as I was starting to get treatment. And people would ask, well, how are you doing? And I'd lie. You know, yeah. I don't want them to know. I don't yeah. want them to tell me what to do. You know, get out. You know, stop. And, and that was really the right thing to do. You know, so I, I guarantee that your friend is still just, you know, just in hell. Yeah, and she is. With me in particular, it's about presenting a face. You know, we tend to be attractive. We tend to be, you know, achievers. And, yep. and you know, it's about, look at what I'm showing you, not what really is. Because what really is, I'm really ashamed of. Yeah. You know, on some level, whether I can acknowledge that or even am aware of that or not. And the fact that bulimia is repellent because it involves vomiting, which is repellent, right? And gluttony, which people judge. I mean, people judge gluttony, boy. Yep. You know, fat people, you know, look at that fat pig and, you know, all that. I mean, almost everybody intuitively does that. We learn not to be that way. We learn to, you know, love the person because there's a reason they're compulsively overheating. They're numbing their pain. Okay, but we have to learn that. We're not born that way. Yeah. And our society is not there yet. And so my advice to her is get out of the closet. Um, look start researching about Ibogaine. I've got a couple of more podcasts you can listen to. She can call me anytime and I will talk to her. I have a potential client coming that's bullying me and we spent about an hour on the phone of just relating. You know, I mean, of course, I was talking about our program and our protocol and blah, blah, blah and how we were going to make it work for him because we're set up for drug addicts. So the, the small amounts of morphine we have because when someone arrives, they have to stay on an opiate right until the treatment. Otherwise, they're going to be too dope sick to do the treatment, mm. right? The treatment, the medicine won't stay in them. So we switch them over to that because, of course, we're not going to allow needles. Anyway, that medicine is kept in a safe. We wow. can't put the kitchen in a safe. Right. So, so, you know, there, there's, there's other things we could do. But most of the talk that we had was like, I so get it. You know, I so get it. You're really isolated and alone. So my, my first advice is just start talking to people you trust. Yeah. And, and be honest. Be honest if you can and and coach that honesty with, please don't police me or judge me because I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm stuck there and I can't do any different right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's beautiful. Uh, yeah, she can't. She can't. She would if she could. I know, and it breaks my heart. I hate to watch it. And so I'm just so thankful for this podcast because, man, she's 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 been through so many rehabs. No, no, 
no success. And, you know, for me, I've always been a believer and very spiritual. And so that helped me through a lot of my abuse. She doesn't have that, like very much like how you spoke about. So I'm just so grateful for you and for, you know, you sharing this. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, so yeah, that really brings us towards the end. I I'd love you to speak on what, what you got going on now, where people can reach you. What are your new projects? Uh, the, the floor is yours. Thank you. So, as I was saying earlier, I kind of got into this. I worked for a different place where I met the people that I work with now. We all work together in a different facility. I came down just to be the cook and volunteer for a little while, a while and get some aftercare. You know, <laughs> I have been, you know, selfish and good with that. You know, I, I wouldn't even—that's the wrong word. It's self-care. It's self-care. It turned out though that the place was a bit of a disaster. The owner had not no background with addiction he just wanted to run it as a sacred medicine place but that couldn't keep the doors open Mm -hmm. and there was a real need for aftercare and the right combination of people helped him you know get that started so the woman that was going to come and do all the breath work and yoga classes all the stuff i wanted to hijack for myself didn't happen so being a little bit of an alpha personality i'm like okay we need this this and this we need to schedule we need to bring in more volunteers nice get everything going so when clients start showing up and they will you know, we've got it. So, yeah, it was a rough start. I mean, any startup is a rough start when you're dealing with addicts that in, is, in and of itself is yeah. very, very hard work. Very hard work because they are they are where they're at. Right. And they just have to go through it. And sometimes their behavior is bad and, and sometimes it's not. And, you know, it's a roller coaster. And so none of it's personal. you got to learn how to put yourself in that space to just allow them their journey while teaching and coaching them. This is what's expected. You know, you got to make your bed every day. You got to show up for things. We expect you to participate, blah, blah, blah. And doing it with the right amount of love and then only using the mom voice if I have to. (laughs) (laughs) So we got started with that. And then the couple that I work with now opened a place about 30 miles away. We're on the beach. So we are south of Ensenada. There's a peninsula that goes up into the bay. Ensenada means inlet. It's a great big bay. And there's an estuary on one side, and I'm looking into it right now. It's so beautiful. And then, of course, the ocean, Pacific Ocean on the other side. Wow. And I would not call it a five-star anything. It's quite rustic. Mm-hmm. We don't have central heating or anything like that. You need to bring winter clothes. It gets really cold here at night. It's Mexico. That surprises people. <laughs> but uh, we have a really great program, and it's getting better every day. Oh. Uh, we have lots of activities for people. There's just for fun there's uh, excursions and we'll go to the hot springs we'll in the springtime most of the year except for right now we'll go up in the hills we'll gather stage and bundle oh, it oh that's amazing yeah it really is and there's wild horses out there I mean it's oh. just it's just bliss it's just bliss and we have daily check-ins because someone that's been an addict does not know how to you know if they relapse so they're like, oh, it's like a piano just fell out of the sky. Well, it didn't. They weren't paying attention every step of the way of all the things that led to them. So the daily check-ins, it's a process where they can learn to check in with themselves. It's repetitive. They get tired of it, but it works if you do it. Wow. And there's recovery circles that I run where we're looking at addictive mindset and and the trauma t- timeline. And this is very difficult work that nobody wants to do or look at. Mm. But it's necessary in order to eliminate those things. 
and move forward with a clear path and we help them with a, a plan for their life on going home because a lot of people were were dealers for a living they're not going to go back to that so it's like okay well you're good at sale so yeah let's, yeah. let's move back and we have three good really good well nutritious meals a day we have a fantastic cook and oh, we have medicine ceremonies we have a sweat lodge at Temis Gall, and our shamans are gone right now. Boy, do we miss them. But the two that ran it were taking a vacation, but at Temis Gall is an ancient Mayan sweat lodge ceremony, and we do that on Sunday and Thursday. So and on cool. those days, we don't, don't do anything else. We don't do check-in. We just have meals and that, and it's all about a real high-vibe atmosphere. It starts early in the day, lighting the fire, and, and everybody helping to get things ready. And just, you know, creating that sacred space for that. And the ceremony itself where we're singing and chanting and we've got drums and maracas. And that lasts about about two hours. That's so cool. And, and then if we want to, and most of us usually do, we can just run into the ocean afterward. And that's really good for your body. So oh. the powerful detoxifier is good for emotional purging and spiritual cleansing. So it, it's quite frankly what keeps me sane out here. Twice a day, I can, you know, take all the stress, or twice a week, I mean, I can take all the stresses of the prior days and leave them there, you know, leave them there. The chemist call symbolizes entering the root womb and being reborn, and that, that's how it's treated. Very, very reverent, and very, very sacred. I want to come do this with right. you. Right, <laughs> sounds amazing. Yeah, you really should. You should come do it. Yeah, <laughs> it, absolutely. It's, it's really amazing. <laughs> so we really have, it's Serenity Beat Wellness. On Facebook, okay. or Serenity on the web. That's perfect. We'll post. We'll post both of those too. Yep. Pardon? Oh, we'll post I'm both of these links with with the uh, podcast as well. On it. Thank yep. you. Absolutely. Thank you. At this point, I mean, of course, I want to bring people here because I want I want people to have, be reborn and have a new life. Oh. You know, it, it only works if they're ready. Yeah. It doesn't work if they're being pressured by family. Yeah. And there is no match for being ready. I wish there was. Yeah. <laughs> there isn't. Yeah. So, um, yeah, right. yeah, we, what we basically have created here is an intentional tribe. Mm, that is beautiful. Where everyone supports everyone. And one of the best parts of our program is people that have been here longer enter and want to stay on the enter a work trade program with us, where they become staff members doing not doing the work that the director level people do, but but helping with everything. Maybe they're washing dishes or running errands or you know, carrying in firewood and building the fire. And, and they, it's a really good part of their pro- program. They, they pay a, a reduced rate at that point and um, get, to, get to get more solid with themselves before going back to the stressors of their regular life. Wow, that is so, so really important that nobody else is doing. Yeah, it's fairly new and, and it's been really successful so far. It, it empowers people to take control of their lives, and we are all really pretty much equal in this. And we couldn't do it without them. The peer-to-peer support that the clients give each other, and that our work trade clients give to the newer clients coming in, you can't put a price on how valuable that is. Oh, that is just amazing what you're building. And no, what I was exactly where you were. A yeah. month ago, thinking this is all crap and it's not going to work, and, and discouraged, and and I can't tell someone that 
it has to come from someone who has been through our program. Oh, yeah. And these are the people that say there is no better place in the world for you to be like him. Oh. As much as it sucks for you, and I get that it sucks for you, there's no better place for you to be like him. That's we all have a, a real fire in our bellies for this work, and I'm just really lucky and blessed to be a part of it. I mean, it, it shines through and it, it shows so much. And this world is so lucky and blessed to have people like you and you yourself doing this work because this is literally the epitome of changing the world by changing souls. Like, you're genuinely healing people. Like, and that's that's what this world, that's one of the takeaways my ayahuasca ceremony was she told me, like, the world, Mother Earth and the people need healing now more than ever. So you you are literally doing the work. It's so incredible. Uh, and repeat... I, I think- 2020 is going to bring some powerful, powerful changes from all of this pain and from all of the brokenness and isolation and separation. And people just need to understand that, like, you are worthy of healing. Like, you deserve it, and it's your birthright, you know? And there's things out there that will help. Absolutely. That's the hard part. Addicts are very selfish, and I'm speaking as one, right? I can tell you a lot of really awful stories, and so can any other addict, whatever their addiction. But that's not about love. Selfishness is not about love. Right. Polar opposite. And our culture does not teach self love. Right. It teaches put everybody else first. Be codependent. That's what love looks like, especially if you're a woman. Right? Uh, there are so many layers of messed up that our society is caught up in. Somehow we are universally and maybe multi universally going back to the basics, back to the roots. Yep. Yep. Um, we're demanding it. And in the time is right. Yeah, absolutely. We got about a minute and a half left here. One thing I liked. Oh, real quick, by the way, where is this located again? Can you repeat that? Where it's located? Ensenada, Baja, California, Mexico, two hours south of San Diego. Beautiful. And uh, what I like to ask everyone at the very end, I got one question for you. If you could leave the world with one message, what would it be? The Lamex need to get out of the closet. Beautiful. Beautiful, specific, niched. I love it. Man, Karen, thank you so much for coming on here. Uh, this means so much to us personally because this is definitely a personal one for us and uh you know you just created so much space for genuine healing for people out there thank you for all you're doing uh we'll definitely be in touch with you and just have have a wonderful wonderful rest of your weekend and uh happy healing happy healing thank you thank you i enjoyed it so much happy healing to you and to everybody thanks karen bye bye